I not only get to have the privilege of serving on this staff, but today I get the privilege of sharing the message with you. And today we're going to be doing what we've been doing throughout the month of December, which is to look at the Gospel of John and hear how John tells the Christmas story. And John tells it in a unique way. We're mostly used to hearing about shepherds and about wise men, but in order to tell the very same story, but to tell it in a different way, John takes us all the way back to the beginning. He takes us before the birth. He takes us all the way back to the beginning of all things. And so as we've asked this question, what child is this? John gives us the answer. This child was in the beginning with God and this child is God. This isn't the only thing that John says at the beginning of his gospel. And I'm telling you friends, you should read those first 18 verses of John's gospel today. You should read it around your dinner table or you should read it before bed. In that passage, John lets loose with this poem of absolute stunning brilliance. And in it, he uses all kinds of images to tell us about this child. And these are the images that Christian has been teaching on these last number of weeks. So not only does he tell us that the word, that this child was in the beginning with God and that he is God, he also tells us that this child is the life, that the child Jesus has in him life and he gives us life. He not only tells us that this child is the life, he says this child is the light, that the light clarifies, that it brings brilliance, that it brings revelation. This child is the light. Last week, we got to hear that this child is the one who overcomes the darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never overcome it, not even the darkness inside of us. And today, what we are going to do is look at another one of John's favorite images for this child, he says that this child is the truth. He says it at the beginning of his gospel. He says it throughout. I'm going to point out two places that he says it right here at the beginning. Take a look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. He says it again in verse 17. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the truth, the truth. That's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna to talk about the truth. Now, I don't want you to say it out loud, but just think now in your minds. I wonder what you think about when you think about the truth, the truth. It might be a little bit silly, but as I was thinking about this in the last couple of weeks, I started to think about that movie, A Few Good Men. Do you remember that movie? It stars Jack Nicholson as the grizzled colonel. He's in charge. He's no nonsense. He gets the job done, even if he cuts a few corners. It also stars, stars Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is the young, brash Navy lawyer who thinks maybe that this colonel has gone too far this time, and he puts him on trial. And at the very end of the movie, there's tension, and it comes to a culmination in a courtroom. And in that courtroom, Tom Cruise bangs his hand on the table and he says, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson says, even louder, you can't handle the truth. So it's a fun movie, fun way to spend a Friday night sitting on the couch eating popcorn. So it might be a little silly that I was also thinking that in some ways, you and I are sort of like that Tom Cruise character. We want the truth. We want to know that we are living in accordance with the truth. We want the truth about our own lives. What should we do? 
Which path should I go? We want the truth about things going on in the world. We want the truth about politics and we want the truth about politicians. We go to our news sources and we pick the one that we think might give us the truth. We want the truth about God. We want to know if God is real. And if God is real, then how should we live? And in what way should we respond to God? We want the truth. But there's also, I think, inside of us something that is a little bit afraid of the truth. There is something that thinks in us that we're not sure that we can handle the truth. The truth can be really scary. The truth can be really, really hard. The child goes to school and has a test that day and cheats on the test. He's caught by the teacher. The teacher makes a call home. He goes home that afternoon. He walks into the door and his mother says, did you cheat on the test today? Tell the truth. We're afraid of the truth. Sometimes it's hard to think that we might not be able to handle the truth. What if people knew the truth about me? What if people knew that I was a mess? What if they knew the things that I was really thinking? Sometimes we know that we can't handle the truth about ourselves, about this world, and about God. The Bible tells us that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the truth. And Jesus says, listen to me now, listen. Jesus says that anybody that follows him, they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. So my dear friends, this is what we're gonna do today. We are going to ask God to speak truth to us. We wanna know the truth. It will set us free. So I'm gonna ask you now to pray with me. Let's ask God to speak now to us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do want to hear the truth and we wanna live according to the truth, but it's hard and our understanding is limited. And even when we know the truth, even when we know what it is, it's hard for us to accept it and it's hard for us to do it. So speak now through my words and through the thoughts of all of our hearts so that we can hear the truth that will set us free and help us, Lord Jesus, to know how much you love us and help us to love you back. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We are going to look at those same two verses we looked at just a few moments ago. We're gonna look at John chapter one, verses 14 and 17. Those are going to be our verses. The word became flesh and lived among us. We have seen his glory. Now, one important thing to note about these verses is that this is way of John telling the story of Jesus, but he's also trying to tell us another story or he's at least getting us to think about something else. As John tells us the story of Jesus, he's also trying to elicit and evoke another story so that we'll compare and contrast them. And this happens all the time when people tell stories. When someone is, well, let's think of it this way. If you're watching a movie and you hear somebody in the movie say, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, what are they trying to get you to think of? Star Wars. Thank you. Very quick response right here at the front. Some of you a little bit slower. Let's try it one more time. Yes, yeah, Star Wars. Well, hang on. We got a new one. If somebody in a movie says, oops, Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. What do they want you to think of? Wizard of Oz. So they're telling you a story, but they want you to think of something else. They want you to have both stories in mind. They want you to have them in tension together. That's what John is doing. He's telling us the story of Jesus, 
But he also wants us to think of something else. He wants us to think of the Exodus. He wants us to think of that story of the Exodus. And some of you think, I don't know that story. You know the story. It's God's people in Israel. They're trapped. They're enslaved in Egypt. God sets them free with signs and wonders and miracles. They go through the Red Sea and they're there in the wilderness. And then God gives the law. He gives the 10 commandments down from the mountain through Moses. So John wants you to think about Jesus. He's the truth. And then he says, I also want you to think of the Exodus. And there's some obvious ways that he does it here in the passage. The first one is the most obvious. It says here, the law indeed was given through Moses. So here you are thinking about Jesus, the truth. And then all of a sudden, the law indeed was given through Moses. And now you have in your mind a picture of Charlton Heston with the big crazy wig on. That's what John wants you to think of. He wants you to remember that big wild lion-like hair and he's bringing down the law. He wants you to think the law and Jesus, grace and truth. He wants you to think of the contrasting and comparison of those two things. But that's not the only thing that's here in this passage in which it points to the Exodus. There are a few others. There are three words that point us back to the Exodus. The word only, the phrase lived among us, and the phrase grace and truth. Those three phrases are pointing back to Exodus and those three phrases are going to be our points in the sermon today. And listen, this is not an academic exercise. I'm not here to tell you about how these things relate to Exodus for any other reason, but I want us to know Jesus as the truth a little bit better. That has been my prayer for you this week. It's been my prayer for you as I drove in this morning. I, me, I want to know the truth more and I want you to know the truth more. And I believe is that we look at these three words, only lived among us in grace and truth will get there. Now, there's one other word that we could look at in this passage that points back to Exodus and that could give us a lot of illumination about the word truth, and it's the word glory. It points back to Exodus, and it really gives us a full view of what truth is, but I'm not going to talk about it today. I'm not going to talk about it because I'm a Presbyterian pastor, and I don't know what it is, but we just like three-point sermons. <laughs> The other reason is that on Christmas Eve, Christian is going to speak on Jesus's glory. Glory is he's going to be his topic. And if I talk about glory today, he is going to be very, very angry with me. He's going to call me into his office this week. He's got one of those high desks like Mr. Potter and it's a wonderful life. You have to sit very low. I don't need it. So we're not going to talk about glory. We're just gonna talk about the truth. We're gonna talk about the only truth, the truth that lives among us in Jesus' grace and truth. Here's the first one. I want us to see that Jesus is the only truth. You can see it in verse 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. How does the word only point us back to Exodus? The world into which God's presence came at that time was a world that was filled with lots of different gods. A whole pantheon of gods into that time, and a lot of them are mentioned in the Bible. Almost every tribe, every nation, every people had their own god or many gods. You had Ashtaroth and Baal, and you had Chemosh, the god of the Philistines, and you had Dagon, the god of the Moabites. And even the Egyptians themselves had over 40 gods, lots and lots of gods. The world into which Jesus was born was very much the same. 
the Roman Empire, lots of gods. You had Zeus, the god of the sky, and you had Poseidon, the god of the sea, and you had Hermes, the god of very expensive women's bags. All <laughs> kinds of gods that were at that time. You've heard of this god, haven't you? Into this, into this milieu, into this scene, God's voice comes and God says, I am the only God. There is no other God besides me. I'm going to read to you from Deuteronomy 4. This is the, well, you know, it just said the law was given through Moses. These words were given to Moses as the people were in the wilderness. And this is what he says. He says, to you, it was shown so that you would acknowledge that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. So acknowledge today and take to heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. So there is no other God. He is the only God. John wants you to think of this. And then he says, you know how there's only one God? He only has one and only son. This one God who's been revealed, he has one and only son. The Greek word that's used there is the word monogenos, which is almost always used of an only child. But every once in a while, it's used to mean one of a kind. And Jesus is both. He is the only son of the one true God, and he is one of a kind. So John here wants you to know He's the only God. And what that means for us when we come to think about the truth is Jesus is the only truth. Jesus is the only truth. That does not mean that there aren't other kinds of truth. There are mathematical truths and there are scientific truths and there are historical truths, but really those are facts. Those are objective things that we could think about. It's also not the case that there aren't elements of truth in every religion. There are. There are aspects and elements of truth in every religion. But if you want to know the truth, if you want to know the truth about who God is, if you want to know the truth about who you are, Jesus is the only truth. It says here he is full of grace and truth. If Jesus is infinite, if he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings, which is what we're all going to sing about here in a couple of days during Handel's Messiah, think about the enormity, the eternity and infinity of Jesus, and he's full of truth. Jesus is the only truth. Now, when someone says that today, or when someone said it back at the time of Exodus, or when someone said it at the time of the Roman Empire, the voice comes in and says, I'm not, what? There's only one truth. Wait, we might have trouble accepting that. There might be some of us here today which are like, only one truth, only one approach to God. Wait, I know folks who are Jewish and I know folks who are Muslim and I know folks who are, they might not have any religion, but they have their own approach to God. We all have our own approach to God, which we try to make the best of what we have. We try to grasp the truth as best we can. Isn't it, isn't it a little prideful? Isn't it a little bit, uh, there's one truth? And this kind of thought in our minds, this is what we might think of as a pluralistic approach to truth. This idea that there are many, many approaches to truth. Let me read you a definition. A pluralistic approach to truth is the belief that the differences between religions are not a matter of truth and falsehood. Hang with me. Let's think of this that the different 
perceptions of one truth. That's what religions are. You can't say one is true and one is false. They're all perceiving this one large truth and it's up to each person to figure out what works for them. And each religion is grasping just one part of the truth. And this idea of pluralistic, a pluralistic approach to truth is best illustrated in a story that maybe you've heard before. The blind men and the elephant. Have you heard this? It's a parable that talks about this approach to truth. Story goes like this. A king gathers to himself a number of blind men and they are asked to describe an elephant. The elephant is there and each blind man goes around different parts of the elephant and they attempt to describe what an elephant is. So the first man goes and he grabs the front and he grabs the trunk and he says, an elephant is like a really large snake. And then the next person comes, the blind man comes and puts his hands up on the center of the uh, elephant's side and says, an elephant is like a big, strong, leathery wall. And each of the blind men, they perceive, they, they grasp, they have a little bit of the elephant. And the king says, here's the point. Not one of, those one of those blind men can see the whole of the elephant. Each one of them is getting a little bit of it. They know a little bit about it. And so in the same way, Every religion and every approach to truth should be humble about how they think they are perceiving the one truth. None of them can see the whole thing, but each one can have just a little bit of it. And we need to be modest and humble about how we think about truth. That seems reasonable, right? It even seems kind of humble. But think for a second, think. Who is the story told by? Who is it being given through? It's being given through the king. And the king is the one person who can see. Everybody else is blind. So the king says, these blind men can't see the whole of the elephant. The king can. And so when the king says, you know, truth is such that not everybody can see it. We only are grasping a little bit of it. That king is saying, I can see the whole truth. I know what it's about. And if anybody says that they have the whole truth, they can't because I can see the whole thing. So if anybody tells that story, they're telling a story which actually works against the point they're trying to make. It's making the opposite point. Let me tell you what the Christian approach to truth is. The Christian approach to truth is there's one person who is not blind. There is one person who can see it all and it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He can see it all. He sees the truth and he is the truth. The Christian view is not everybody else is blind and we can see. It's that he can see. And if he can see, then we need to stay close to him. The Christian position isn't we have the truth and nobody else does. The Christian position is the truth has us. We belong to him and we can follow him like a good shepherd and we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death where it is dark and we can follow him because he can see. So here's my challenge to all of us here today. I wanna make a challenge to those of you who are not Christians and those of you who are. For those of you who are not Christians, and this is one of the things that I love about Renaissance Church. This is a place where you can come and think through the claims of the Christian faith. You are welcome here. Friends can be uh, brought here who may not believe and you are welcome here to think and to pray and to wrestle and to argue. So my challenge to those of you who are not Christians is this. Jesus claims to be the truth. He claims to be the one who reveals the truth. If you want to take that claim seriously, then you should follow him at least for a time. The only way that you're going to know whether he is the truth is to actually walk with him. 
you know, if somebody says to you, you've got to go to this restaurant, it's on the corner of 38th Street and 7th Avenue. You can't say, I don't like that restaurant until you've gone. You have to taste and see. And the only way you're going to know if the Lord is good is you have to taste and see if the Lord is good. You have to actually walk after him. If somebody said to you, this book is terrific, you should read it. You can't say, I don't like what that author has to say until you sit down and read it. You can't in real earnestness. I'm going to challenge you here a little bit. You can't say Christianity isn't for me if you don't walk with him for a while. See if he can guide you. So that's my challenge to those of you who are not Christians. Here's my challenge to you of those of you who are Christians. If he's the, really the truth, then we need to stay as close to him as we possibly can in every way that he makes himself available to us in worship, in the giving and the reading and the proclamation and the study of his word, in prayer, in studying the scriptures on your own, in being together with people who can help to guide you. You know, I've run a number of marathons and in every single one of them, I have seen blind runners running with a guide. And they're running along and sometimes they have a tether and sometimes they're just holding on to one another. And the only way a blind runner can get through a marathon is to be hanging on to somebody who can see. And the only way that you can get through this life, which is so difficult and which is so, which is so confusing sometimes, is to be hanging on to somebody who can see. So Jesus Christ is the only truth. That's our first point, okay? So here is our second point. It's that Jesus is the truth who lived among us. This also comes from verse 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. How does the word or the phrase lived among us connect us to Exodus? The, word, the phrase lived among us is translating a word, a Greek word, skinos. Let me show you the uh, definition here. Skinos means to fix one's tabernacle, to have a tabernacle, to abide or live in a tabernacle or a tent. Tabernacle is a fancy word for a tent. Now, let's go back, after we have this definition, back to John. And the word became flesh and lived among us. Another translation might be, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. What's the relevance of this? The relevance is this. After God had brought his people out into the wilderness, he came to Moses and he said, I am the God of heaven and earth and I dwell in all places. But I want there to be a special place where we meet, where my presence will be in a very particular and special way. I will reveal myself in this place in a way that I won't reveal anywhere else. It'll be the tabernacle. And he gave Moses specific instructions on how to build this tabernacle and what it looked like and who could go in there and when. God said, this is my tabernacle. I dwell in all places, but this is where I'm going to meet you in a very special way. So now John, he wants us to think of both of these things. He's saying, Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth, he's the new tabernacle. That if you want to meet with Jesus in a very special way, God dwells in heaven and earth. He dwells in all places. But if you want to meet Jesus in a very special way, in a place that reveals God fully, you go to the tabernacle. Get this, there's even more though. Listen, when Moses is told how to build the tabernacle. He's given very specific instructions. It kind of looks like a, like a set of concentric circles. There's a fence around the tabernacle and then you get inside the fence and then there's the tent itself and you go in one flap and you can go a little farther and then you go a little farther. It's concentric circles and at the very center of this tabernacle where God's presence is going to dwell is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what do we know about the Ark of the Covenant? 
From Indiana Jones, we know that if you open up the lid and you look inside, your face will melt off. What do we know from the scriptures though? Look, if you ever find the tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant, just don't look inside it, okay? It's, it's like a hazmat thing. Call somebody else and they'll, I don't know. Now, what do the scriptures say? What's inside the Ark of the Covenant? There are a couple things in there, but the main thing that's in there are the Ten Commandments. They're inside. They're God's word inside the Ark, and this is where God's presence is. So you go into God's presence, you go into the tabernacle, there's the Ark, and encased inside is God's word. And God said, this is where I'm going to dwell in a special place. Do any of you know what a mezuzah is? A mezuzah. A mezuzah is something that some Jewish folks put on their doorposts. As they come and they go, they can see this mezuzah. It's usually pretty small. It's made out of plastic or wood or glass. Inside the mezuzah is usually one little scroll with one verse of scripture on it. Usually it comes from Deuteronomy 4. And in Deuteronomy 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord is one. And oftentimes when they come or go, they'll be able to put their hand on that little piece of wood or glass. And they might say a little prayer and they might remember that those are God's words. Now we hear that and we might think, maybe, that seems a little superstitious. You place your hand on that piece of wood or glass. I don't know if that's so superstitious. I don't know. If those are God's words, if God has spoken those words to us in love, and he's thought about us to hear those words, he wants us to hear from him personally, then we might want to put our hands there, to, to place our hands in a way where God spoke. At the end of the Gospel of John, one of Jesus' disciples, one of his 12 apostles, cannot believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He can't believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And Jesus comes to him and says, Thomas, I want you to place your hand on my hand. And I want you to place your hand on my side, right next here to my heart. Because the new tabernacle is not made of wood or glass. It's made of flesh. It's made of a heart and hands because God's word dwells personally among us. No longer do we have to just listen to God's word. And listen, I'm not diminishing that. God's word, there's no greater gift to us than God's word, but an even greater gift has been given. It is God's presence in the tabernacle of the body of Jesus. Jesus dwells among us personally. Friends, the 10 commandments cannot feed you. They cannot weep with you. They cannot heal you, but Jesus Christ can feed you. And he dwells among you to heal you. And he will never leave you or forsake you. So as great as the scriptures are, as great as God's word is, now John is saying there is a greater tabernacle and he is among us personally and we cannot do what Thomas has done. But we'll get to another passage some other time where we hear from John the apostle where he says he's dwelt among us and his presence is still among us just as strong if not stronger as it ever has been. So Jesus dwells among us personally. Now I wanna draw two two applications for us in this. If Jesus is the truth that dwells among us personally, two things. The first is that we should never be afraid of the truth. If the truth is a disembodied fact that might get us, well, then we might be afraid of the truth. But if he is the truth, 
if our shepherd is the truth, if he is our personal truth, we never have to be afraid of the truth. In John chapter four, (laughs) Jesus encounters a woman at the well, a woman who has been abused by men and taken advantage of, and her life has been made a mess of by people who have preyed upon her. She's living a life of shame. She goes to get water in the middle of the day from a well, and you do not go in the Middle East in the middle of the day to get water from a well. She goes there at that time because she doesn't want to be seen. When she goes there, she encounters Jesus, and that should give us a little clue as to what happens for people who feel like they're ashamed and they've been taken advantage of. Jesus makes it his business to go to the places where they go so that they will encounter him. And when she encounters him, they talk and they converse and they talk about her life. And do you know what she says when she goes back to her community? She says, I want you to meet somebody who's told me everything I've ever done. I want you to know somebody who knows everything that I've ever done. Friends, if there was somebody who knew everything that I've ever done, I would not make an introduction for you to them. I would keep that person very far away from you. But she's not afraid of the truth. She can't be afraid of the truth because it's him. Listen, there was a pastor a long time ago named Richard Sibbs. He had people in his church who he felt like were afraid to come to Jesus. They felt ashamed. They were like that woman. They were afraid of the truth. He wrote a book, especially for them. I'm gonna read you just a short excerpt from you. He says, consider the names Jesus has borrowed from the mildest creatures, such as lamb and hen. He did this to show his tender care. Jesus never turned any back again that came to him. He came to die as a priest for his enemies. He shed tears for those that shed his blood. And now he makes intercession in heaven for them. Jesus is a physician good at all diseases, especially at the binding up of a broken heart. What should we learn from this but to come boldly to the throne of grace? Be of good comfort. He calls you. He calls you. Conceal not your wounds, but open all before him. You can do that because he is the truth that dwells among us. Here's the second admonition, knowing that Jesus is the truth that lives among us. Do not ever try to hurt somebody else with the truth. We do that. I mean, sometimes it's just really friendly. You're sitting around a table and you say, did we go, did we go on that vacation in 2007? No, it's 2008. No, I'm pretty sure it's 2007. No, it's 2008. And you look it up and you say, I knew it. I was right. You were wrong. That's fine. You can do that. But sometimes it's worse than that. Sometimes we try to get one another. We try to prove somebody else wrong. We try to get them with the truth. We try to expose them with the truth. We try to sometimes even hurt others with the truth. Don't do that. He is the truth. How can you hurt somebody with the truth? Instead, the truth is what comes to us in a way which is kind and loving and graceful. And that moves us to our third point that Jesus is the graceful truth. Jesus is the only truth. He's the truth that lives among us. Here's the last one. Jesus is the graceful truth. And this again comes from verse 14. The word became flesh and lived among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory is of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Now, some of you probably know that phrase, grace and truth. What you may not know is that it comes from the book of Exodus. It's a description of God himself that he's full of grace and truth. So when the first hearers hear this, they say, wait, you're saying that Jesus is also full of grace and truth? Just like God? Yes. 
but he not only says it to tell us that he's just like God, he tells us to tell us what kind of truth he is. He's the graceful truth. Now, what that means is not that he's a good dancer. I, he probably is. I'm sure he's very light on his feet. We shall find out in glory. But the real point is that it tells us what kind of truth that he is. He is a graceful truth. And that, tra that word graceful is best translated back into the Hebrew, the Hebrew word hesed. And hesed means faithful. It means long-suffering. It means irresistibly drawn to give love. That's the kind of truth that he is. It's love, it's truth that comes to us. And see, most relationships we have are quid pro quo. You do this for me, I'll do this for that. I do my job, you pay me. I'll get this done, you give me this in return. The very best relationships we have are not quid pro quo. They are the relationship of friend who will be with you even if you hurt that friend. That they'll give you a way to reconcile, you can reconcile. A relationship where a parent bears with a child even when a child is going astray. That is said. That's said living. And God is said. He is faithful. So you want to know what kind of truth Jesus is? He is the faithful truth. He is the truth that comes to you with love in an unmitigated way. It's always love for you. It's faithful to you. He will never turn his back on you. He will never, he will never turn away from you in any way. The book of Lamentations says this. Lamentations says that great is God's faithfulness. Even when we sin and turn away, he's going to be with us. So here's the only application I have for that. You should receive Jesus as the truth who is the faithful and graceful truth to you. That we should never describe or think of God as any other kind of truth than a graceful truth which bears with us and walks with us. And you should receive that truth because you need it. But you should also receive it because as it takes root in you, it will bear fruit so that you can live a life of said for others. That you can walk in this world not waiting to get something back for what you give, but you are so full that you can give things away. And it's the greatest privilege of my life that I get to tell other people about the said, the graceful truth of Jesus. But also sometimes it is the hardest thing in the world to receive it for yourself. Sometimes it's easy to give it away to tell others, but sometimes it's very, very difficult to receive that has said for you. So I'm gonna try to help you right now. Jesus has come for you, the graceful truth for you. The truth about your life is that he's made a decision about you and he's gonna walk with you and the truth can set you free. You know, Psalm 23 says that truth pursues you. It's the word that sometimes is used for an army that's coming after someone. That's the kind of love that's coming after you. That's the kind of truth that is coming after you. My dear friends, Jesus Christ is the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you are the truth, that not anything else is the truth, but you are. Not our perceptions, not our imaginations, not what the world says about you or about us. You are the truth. You are the truth, your life for us, of faithfulness, your healing, your teaching, that's the truth. Your death on the cross for us, bearing all the powers of this world of sin and death, that's the truth. And that your resurrection is the truth, new life for us and for the world. So come, Lord Jesus, into our midst, be the truth. Be the truth for those of us who've been walking for you, with you for a long time. Be the truth 
for those of us who may not have ever walked with you at all because you are full of grace and truth. We give you thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen.